0: right? Isn't heaven going to be amazing? The kingdom, even those of you who don't have a good voice, now you're going to have a good one in the kingdom, right? Making a joyful noise. I want to ask you to open your Bibles today to the book of Genesis chapter 14. We've just. You know, there's nothing really more sufficient than the Word of God. I I was uh, impressed to start looking at the life of Abraham. You know, we preached. I preached through Genesis 1 through 11 uh, several years ago, uh, just kind of lay that foundation of the beginning of the book. And uh, I thought, thought, you know, man, that's just the beginning of the story. There's so much more. And so we jumped into Genesis 12 about, I don't know, about six weeks ago. And we've just been walking through... um, Genesis and looking at the life and the story of Abram, who is also called uh, the father of faith and the friend of God and uh, what an amazing man he is and and was. And uh, and today we're going to take a little bit of a time, uh, a little bit of time to uh, look at a a mysterious character in the scripture. And for those of you who've been around me long enough, you know, I love a good mystery. Right. I, I love the the stranger things in the Bible. Uh, the Bible is a, is a very bizarre book at times. And we meet a character today who is, he goes by the name of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. And if you've never heard that name before, you're going to learn a lot about him today. Well, I say you're going to learn a lot about him. There's still going to be a, a lot of mystery surrounding this character um, this morning because I can't tell you that I have all the answers to who this guy really is, which is is very frustrating to me because I want to know. I want to know who this guy is and why it matters. And so uh, I love a good mystery. Uh, I don't know how many of you out there love a good suspense, a suspense novel or a whodunit movie, and you're trying to figure it out along the way. And, uh, you know, those are, the, those are the kind of movies that really capture my attention. And, and when we look at Genesis 14 today, we're going to be introduced to this, to this character named Melchizedek, and he just kind of casually comes on the scene, and then he just as quickly disappears, and we're kind of left hanging like, man, who is this guy? And you're going to pick up on some things that I think will be very evident to you when it comes to this character and and his his relationship uh, to the Lord Jesus. We'll we'll get into more about that here in a minute. But um, thankfully, if that were all that we had, if Genesis 14 is all that we had about Melchizedek, we would would really be kind of left uh, in the dark. Um, But David... King David in writing Psalm 110, he mentions Melchizedek, okay, that's the only other time we find him in the, in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, but thankfully the author of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, uh, he goes into a lot of detail about this character Melchizedek, and so thankfully he, he kind of elaborates on this guy a lot, and I think that it's um, very important that we that we number one, know who he is, so I'm going to do my best to try to solve the mystery of Melchizedek, which is, again, this is a fun exercise for us to do. But more importantly today, there is a ministry. There's a ministry of this man named Melchizedek, and that directly is, is connected and is, and is applied to you and me today. And that's really what I want to get to more than anything else, is that this isn't just some ancient story about some ancient king who is really disconnected from us. Here we are in 2022 but that there is still something very beneficial to his ministry that is now connected and, and can be translated into our life and our ministry as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's jump in. So here's what I want to ask you to do. If you have your Bible, we're going to start out in, in Genesis 14 today, and we're going to, just going to read six verses. We're going to finish uh, the chapter 14 but also go ahead and find Hebrews chapter 7. So if, you, if you're one of those people that likes to, to, to turn the pages, I like to hear the pages turning in your Bibles. Um, go ahead and find Hebrews chapter 7 because we're going to spend a good bit of time in Hebrews 7 this morning as well, which is probably the most comprehensive chapter on this character, Melchizedek. Again, again we're going to try to solve the mystery, but then we're going to really look at the ministry. What was his ministry and how does it apply to you and me today. Genesis 14. Now let's remember last time we talked about Abram who was willing to fight for his what? His family. Remember, Lot was taken into captivity. Uh, he got caught up in between this war between the kings, the, the four kings against the five kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his family are taken into captivity. Abram musters uh, uh, an army, if you will, 318 men. They go up with God's help. They rescue Lot and his family, and they bring them back home. And that's where our story picks up here today. Okay, so uh, Genesis 14, I'm going to begin in verse 18. Uh, we'll back up to, to 17, actually. It says, after his return from the defeat of Laomer and the kings who were with him, The king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him. So Melchizedek is blessing Abram, okay? Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take all the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High, Possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten, and the share of the man who went with me let Aner, Escol and Mamre take their share. So basically, first I just want to show you real quick. There's a contrast here between two kings. The king of Salem, or what we would call Jerusalem. Okay, so picture this is where we are. We're right outside Jerusalem now. The King's Valley. There was a valley there, there's a valley there that's right outside of Jerusalem. It was known in ancient days as the King's Valley. You've got Melchizedek, who's the king of Jerusalem, who blesses Abram, and Abram gives him a tenth of everything that he just he just required, he just acquired in this uh, battle. But then the king of Sodom comes back and he says, Hey man, you can take everything that you had that you got that you acquired from these other kings. Just give me my people back. And it's, it's interesting to me that Abram says, Listen, man, I don't want anything from you. Do you know why he did that? Because he knew what kind of a man the king of Sodom was. What kind of a king was he? He was a wicked king. He was a ruler of a wicked people. It's a very wicked civilization, a very wicked culture. And Abram's like, I don't want anybody to say that I was made rich or I benefited from you. Okay, it was really kind of a slap in his face. But Abram was wise in not doing that. So even though he received a blessing from Melchizedek, he says, I don't want anything from you. And so he basically gave him back everything that he had acquired. So you already see kind of a little bit of a contrast here. And so let's, let's talk off the top. I don't know if, if you're like me, the Bible talks in patterns. The Bible teaches us in, in what's called types and shadows. Anybody ever heard that before? A type or a shadow. So we've, we've talked about the appointed feast of the Lord. The appointed feasts give us a great uh, example of types and shadows. Let me just give you one so that you kind of understand what I'm talking about. The Passover lamb. When the children of Israel were required to take the Passover lamb and spread the blood over their doorposts, and the angel of death passed over them, and they were saved from death by the blood of the lamb. Now we fast forward to the coming of Jesus, and John looks at him and says, Behold the what? Lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we know that Jesus was actually crucified on Passover. So, so the Passover event was a type or a pre, a foreshadowing of the fulfillment in who, in Jesus, and so what we're seeing here in this is there's another foreshadowing taking place with this character Melchizedek. He is he's a very mysterious character, but if you if you're if you're like me, you picked up on some things possibly that maybe got you thinking along those very same lines. Man, this guy sounds a lot like who, like Jesus. Amen. Okay, so that that kind of starts the mystery. Is it Jesus? Is it uh, that we're going to get into that in just a minute. So, so let's, let's take a, a minute to look at this guy. First of all, the location is important. Melchizedek is the king of what city? Jerusalem. That should draw some interest, right? Did you know that the Lord said that he has put his name on that place, in that place, Jerusalem, for how long? Forever. For some reason, there's a unique, special relationship that God has made with that piece of that real estate, that property over there in Israel, in the city of Jerusalem, Mount Zion, okay? And we know what happened there at Mount Zion. Many significant things happened on Mount Zion, like Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him there in that city. Uh, David conquered uh, Jerusalem later and made it the capital of Israel. And then finally, our Lord and Savior was what? He was crucified on that mountain. He was resurrected out of the grave on that mountain. And when he returns, he's coming back for Jerusalem. That's going to be the, the, the epicenter of all of the forces of good and evil will converge at that place in real time on the earth for Jerusalem. There's something special about that place. And here we have Melchizedek, who is the king of Jerusalem. So that's the first thing, location is critical. The second thing is that we we pick up on language. What does he offer Abraham? He offers him bread and, all right, now you're thinking, hmm, symbolic of perhaps the what? Maybe the Last Supper, right? Right. The bread and the wine—that's what we do every every third Sunday. We take communion, and so we're we're thinking, okay, bread, body of Christ, blood of Christ. So you can kind of see now, okay, there's something going on here. There's a pattern being said here. There's a type. There's a shadow happening in this picture. All right, we continue on. Not only was Melchizedek the king of Jerusalem, but he was also called the priest of the Most High God. And we're going to see why that's important in just a minute. OK, I'm, I'm not going to get into too much of that, but he was both king and what? And priest. That's important. All right. We'll, we'll talk about that here in just a second. The next thing that we see is that Melchizedek blessed to Abram. OK, well, what we know is that the lesser is always blessed by the Greater. So what, what Melchizedek was doing in blessing Abram, he was basically showing his authority and his superiority over Abram. So this guy has su- su- supremacy or, su- or authority over Abraham himself. That means he was what? Greater than Abraham. That's interesting. And then finally we see what does Abraham give Melchizedek? He pays his what? He pays a tithe or a tenth of everything that he has. He gives it in an offering to this king. So you can already see there's a lot of stuff going on in this passage that makes you start thinking, man, who is this guy? Because obviously he comes on the scene and then we don't really hear anything else about him until we really get to the book of Hebrews. Now, I'm gonna give you some potential candidates for the identity of Melchizedek, and I just wanna tell you guys it's one of those situations where as I began to dig deeper and study more and listen to different interpretations, it was like, I felt like I knew where I, what I believed and I knew who I thought he was. And then the next minute I'm like, no, that's not it. Maybe it's somebody else. And then the next minute I'd be back to the other side. And it, I, I, it was really difficult for me to settle on who he is. Um, and so I'm not gonna promise you that I have a, a definitive answer today, all right? But I'm gonna give you some potential candidates just for those of you with the, the inquiring minds who, who wanna know, like, who is this character, right? Well, some people in... Jewish tradition from the book of Jasher believed that Melchizedek was Shem, the son of Noah. Because we know after the flood that that Noah's three sons, they would have lived hundreds of years after the flood. So he could have been alive at this time. That's one potential candidate. Okay, I'm not 100% sold on that. But again, I'm just giving you some of the the, uh, qualifiers here. Another potential candidate is that this was perhaps a, a Christophany, all right? It's a big word. All that means is this could have been Jesus in incarnate, you know, a, a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. I know that's a lot of words right there. So simply what that means is we see throughout the Old Testament that the Lord appears to people in what kind of form? In physical form. The angel of the Lord uh, we see it happening all throughout Scripture, and my interpretation of that is that th- these are these are manifestations of Jesus before, obviously, he was actually born as, as a man, okay, in, in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. He showed up on the scene many other times in physical form, and some people believe that this could have been another one of those instances. And I used to really think that's it, that's the answer. Now I'm not hundred percent sure about that and so we're going to see later that there were a lot of ideas swirling around uh, God's covenant people about who this character was and I'll share some of those with you here in just a minute but let's go ahead and jump into your outline if you're if you're taking notes I want to just share these things with you today and, and, and again we're going to talk first mystery then we're going to get into the ministry okay So who is Melchizedek? Again, I'm not going to be here to answer necessarily the mystery, but I do know this much. Melchizedek, he represents the eternal order, okay, of prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. Those are going to be the three things we're going to really focus on today, okay? There is an eternal order, apparently, that was established by God from the very beginning that there would be an individual who represented God in all three of these offices, okay? Prophet, priest, and king. So if you have your, if you have your Bible, let's, let's go to Hebrews chapter 7, and we'll, we'll kind of pick through Hebrews a little bit. So let's kind of flip over to Hebrews, and let's start digging in a little bit deeper. Who is this guy? So Melchizedek, he represents this this eternal order where these three offices are united. They're unified in one person. Okay? Hebrews 7. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 7, 1 and 2. So again, the author of Hebrews, thankfully, he begins to elaborate a little bit on this mysterious character. He says, "For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, so he's king and priest. He met Abraham. He met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, and to Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything to him. Uh, And he is first by translation of his name. Now, so the author of Hebrews is now telling us who he is. Okay, his name literally means the name Melchizedek literally means the king of." righteousness. Does that sound familiar? Who's the king of righteousness? We know the Lord Jesus is the righteous king. So his name is king of righteousness, but he is also the king of Salem, which means the king of peace. Who's the king of peace? Who's the prince of peace? Again, we see these pictures. So not only does his name mean king of righteousness, but he's the king of Jerusalem, which means he's the king of peace. And so we see here in this one person that he's a priest and a king in this eternal order that God's established from the very beginning of creation. All right, look at verse 3. This is where we get all the mystery, really. This is is where the author of Hebrews, in a way, tries to give us some answers, but I think he raises more questions than anything else. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3. Now he's going to tell us about this guy Melchizedek. Listen to what he says. He is without father or mother. Wow. okay? What does that mean? He's without father or mother. I thought everybody had to at least have a mom, right? He's without father or mother or genealogy, so there's no way to trace his, his genealogy where he came from. Now look at what he says, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. that sounds a lot like God to me, right? some type of eternal figure, no beginning of days, no end of life. But he's resembling the Son of God, and he continues as a priest forever. All right, let me just take a minute here to address this. There's a couple of things that this could mean. I think one possible interpretation is that the author of Hebrews is basically saying, we really just don't know anything about this guy. Like, there's no record of him, okay? That's one way to look at it. And I think if you read that, you could kind of take it t- to mean that, okay? So we don't really know who, where he came from. We don't know what his family, who his family is. We don't, we don't know really anything else about him, but that he just kind of showed up right here on the scene and, to bless Abram. That's one way to look at it. But also at this time, during the time of the 2nd second, uh, second century B.C. leading up to the, the time of Jesus, guys, there were a lot of different ideas swirling around about Melchizedek. I'm going to give you just a couple just for, you know, just for fun. There was a group called the Essenes. How many of you have ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? So they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. Amazing discovery. Okay. Fascinating. You go research it. It's it's a phenomenal discovery. But in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there were writings about Melchizedek, and they they were saying that he was the angel of the Lord and that he was coming to lead the armies of heaven to destroy the enemies at the end of the age. That's who they said Melchizedek was. Wow, that sounds a lot like who? Like Jesus, right? So that you can understand, like there's a lot going on here. But then you had another book called Second Enoch, and he says that Melchizedek had a miraculous birth. That he that he was born, and this is weird. He says when he was born, he was already a grown person. Like, what is that all about? I don't know. Again, I'm not saying these are these can be relied upon as, as trustworthy. I'm just trying to tell you what people were what what they were thinking at this time and then there's another author named Josephus who was a Jewish historian and he said that Melchizedek founded Jerusalem he built the first temple and he called him the Logos or the word in the beginning was the Word. word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us right so you can see all these different connections and all these different ideas are swirling around I think maybe what the author of Hebrews is doing in chapter seven is that he's just communicating to us what all these other people are what are thinking about Melchizedek. Now, unfortunately, he still doesn't give us the answer. I'm like, come on, man, just tell us who he is. Right. Is it Jesus? Is it is it some special divine being? Is he the angel of the Lord? I mean, we don't really know. So I'm sorry to tell you guys, I'm just going to have to leave you hanging on the mystery part. Go research it and and dig in. Go down that rabbit hole. You'll you'll go as deep as you want to go, I promise you. So there's a lot of mystery surrounding this guy. But I think the best thing that we can understand is that this is is a a real man. I think he was a real man. I think he was really the king of of Jerusalem. I think he was really alive at the days of Abraham. I'm not 100% sure if he was some divine being or if he was Jesus, a pre-manifestation of Jesus. I don't know. But what I do know is that he was superior to Abraham and he was superior to the other priests of Israel, which, which we're called the Levites. And that's going to be important, okay, as we move forward. So he, he was appointed as a high priest, and he was the king of, of peace, the king of righteousness. This guy was unique. So he has pr- pr- uh, priority and preeminence over these other priests that we're going to see here in just a minute. All right, so that kind of gets us started. Now, here's the thing I want to share with you next is that God did something among the children of Israel that I think was interesting is that he separated all of these offices among the tribes of Israel now remember what I just told you about Melchizedek he represents someone who has all three prophet priest and king in what in one person that's why he's superior that's why we look at him and say there's something special about this guy he's a prophet he's a priest He's a king. But by the time we get to the nation of Israel, the Lord separates these things out, and he assigns each of these offices to a different tribe in Israel. And I think he did this for one reason one reason alone, because there was a, there was a problem that the people had. And here's the problem. How does a holy God interact with sinful men? This is a big question. How can a holy God who is, who is pure and righteous and just and cannot even, he can't dwell among filth and sin and unrighteousness, but yet at the same time he wants to. So God set up a system that allowed his people to still interact with him on a temporary basis. It wasn't a, the system wasn't in and of itself wrong, but he was dealing with what kind of people. Imperfect people. By the way, what kind of people does God have to deal with? What does He have to work with? A bunch of sinners, right? That's all He's got. This is—we're all He's got to work with. Don't you know He's shaking His head sometimes? Man, is this all I got to work with? Come on. There's no perfect person, right? Even Moses, even David. You start walking, even Abraham. Abraham, These guys who were men of faith. Righteous men who believed in God, yet they were still fallen. They still made many mistakes. They still still had their flaws, right? So do we. So God's trying to figure out, okay, I'm going to be working with a bunch of imperfect people, so i got to figure out a way. I want to dwell with them. I want to have a relationship with them. And so in order for him to do that, he separated these offices out to have different representation from different tribes of Israel so that he could kind of solve this temporary problem. Okay, so my, my best interpretation is, He assigned the the priesthood to the tribe of, anybody know? Levi. The tribe of Levi, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. He assigned the kingship to the tribe of, anybody know? Judah. Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah, okay? And then I'm not 100% sure where the prophet office went, but I do think Joseph is probably a good picture of the, of the prophetic office, because who's the first one we see in Scripture interpreting dreams and visions? It's Joseph, right? So he has these dreams. He's interpreting dreams for Pharaoh. He kind of has this prophetic gift. And so we see that the, that the Lord separated these things out to solve this temporary problem, and we see that the priests, okay, stay with me, the priest represented God's presence, That's why they had to do everything according to the way he he prescribed it. See, we forget about the holiness of God. Okay? Because if you entered into that threshold where we have the presence of the Lord, and he he came down in what was called the temple and the tabernacle. Okay, this was sacred ground, right? Holy ground. Could anybody just walk up in the temple any way that they wanted to? What would happen? You would die. Is that because God's a big meanie? No. It's not that he hates you. He's just like, wait, don't, don't, don't cross over. You're not compatible with me. If you come into my presence, you're just gonna die. It's like stepping into the presence of an atomic bomb. Are we gonna survive an atomic bomb? No. God is, has more energy and radiation and power than a what? An atomic bomb. So he wants to be in the midst of sinful people. He's like an atomic bomb waiting to go off. And he's saying, listen, if you don't do everything exactly how I prescribed it for you, guys, I'm telling you, you're going to die. You can't survive. We're not compatible. So he set up this priesthood, very important, so that they could could be the, the mediators between God and man, right? And so they were given this opportunity to be his representatives. And they served the Lord in the temple, in the tabernacle. And they represented God's presence. God's presence in the midst of his people. That's why the priesthood was set up. The kings were to represent God's power and peace. Because when when we see World War II pictures of people holding this up right here, what does that mean? It doesn't mean peace to the World War II generation. It means victory. But after they had victory, what did they have? They had peace. The hippies took it in sixty and said, in the 60s and said, we're going to make this into something else. But the World War II generation understood that until there's victory over evil, you cannot have what? Peace. So the kingship was given, God gave kings to Israel to maintain peace and to establish his power and victory over their what? Over their enemies. That's what the king was primarily responsible to do. And we had some good kings and we had some really bad kings in Israel. And then the prophets, the prophets were given to express God's patience. His patience. Because what were the prophets always doing? Calling the people what? Come back to me. So the Lord would speak to the prophet and say, Now I need you to go tell these stubborn, hard-headed people of mine, these sinful, rebellious people, one more time, that all you got to do is just repent. I, I love you. I want to have a relationship with you, but you've gone astray. You've gone away from me. And the prophets were sent to the people to speak on behalf of God to call the people. Come back. Just come back. God's willing to forgive you. He wants to show you mercy. He wants to embrace you and forgive you. And he's patient with you. That was the, that was the primary role of the prophets. And so you can see that in the nation of Israel, as God separated these things out, he was very intentional in doing so because of his holiness. He knew that he had to have different representations from prophets, priests, and kings in order to maintain that relationship that he had with his people. Now here's the kicker. You had some prophets who were also priests. I think about Samuel. He was a priest, but he was also a prophet. But was he a king? No. You have some kings who are also prophets. I think about David. David was a king and a prophet, but was he a priest? No. Do you know what happened to kings whenever they tried to take on a priestly role? It was not good. One example, anybody remember the king Hezekiah? Hezekiah was a great and righteous king. But one day he got impatient. He got proud. He went into the temple and he began to offer sacrifices as a what? As a priest. And do you know what the Lord did to him? He got struck with leprosy and he died. He spent the rest of his days leprous. Why? Because he was not supposed to cross over into that office. There was a what? A separation. Kings can't be priests, right? Right. Kings can't be priests. And let me tell you why that was so important to God. Because he's trying to make sure the people understood this. There can only be one person who holds all three what? All three roles. And any time a king uh, misrepresented God by taking on a priestly role, he was distorting and perverting the picture of who? Jesus Christ. God takes those things what? Very seriously. It's just like Moses. When Moses struck the rock in the desert, he wasn't supposed to do that. He was supposed to what? Speak to the rock. He was misrepresenting the good news and the picture of Jesus in the desert. And that's why Moses was punished by God and said, you're not going to enter into the promised land because you, you messed up my picture. You messed up my my foreshadowing of the Messiah. So anytime a priest or a king misrepresented God and they tried to take on a role that they weren't supposed to take on, God takes that stuff very, very seriously because it's all pointing us to who? To Jesus. Don't mess with the picture of the gospel. That's what's happening here in this passage of Scripture. Okay, so there's there's the picture of Melchizedek. There's this temporary separation. And now let's see, let's look at Jesus himself And be reminded today of how he is the only one that qualifies to hold all three what? All three offices. Okay? That's the next thing on your outline. Jesus is the only one who meets every qualification. And this is how he does it. He is the eternal word made flesh. That's his prophetic role. He is the king of kings. Who's higher than Jesus? Nobody. And he is our great what? High priest. He's all three. That's why when the scriptures are talking about Jesus and Melchizedek, they're pointing us back to this mysterious figure, whoever he was, and saying this guy was prophet, priest, and king. He came before the Levites. He came before the kings of Israel. And now we see Jesus. He is also our what? Prophet, priest, and king. He's the only one that meets all three. Amen. So he is the one who comes in the order of Melchizedek. You know what I think? I think these are the roles that Jesus served before the very foundation of the world. Do you know that there's a heavenly city called New Jerusalem? Melchizedek was the king of what? Jesus has always been the king of what? Jerusalem. Do you know that there's a heavenly temple with a Holy of Holies? In heaven, you understand that, right? God built a heavenly temple. The earthly temple was just a reflection of what it's already where. In heaven, you know, Jesus has always served as our great high priest, and he is the logos. He is the word, the purpose, the reason. He is the, the source of life and truth. That's why I think Jesus meets all the qualifications, because these three offices, these three roles were his to begin with. They were already his to begin with. And of course, we see him functioning in those three roles today. So he is the true prophet. Jesus is the true prophet. As Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You will listen to him. Listen to him. Because when he speaks, what does he speak? Truth. Truth. His word is truth. When Jesus was baptized, what did the father say? This is my beloved son. Listen to. He's the one. He's the true prophet. He's the word become flesh. When he speaks, he speaks my word. He speaks truth. The second thing is Jesus is the the king of kings. Now I want you to listen to all these titles that we give to Jesus. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of Jerusalem. He is the king of heaven and earth. He is the king of Israel. He is the king of the Jews. He is the prince of peace. But do you know the one that we often leave out? He is our servant king. You see, we we think about what it means to be a king, and we think power and authority, and I'm the ruler, and I'm over everybody else. Jesus came not to be served, but to what? but to serve the king of the universe took on flesh and became humble enough to be a servant and to suffer and even what even die on a cross that's the kind of king that we want that's the kind of king that we need and of course he is our great high priest he is our great high priest because he lives forever He lives forever. After his resurrection, Jesus ascended back into that heavenly temple where he is now our great intercessor. He's our great high priest, as I shared with you earlier at worship. He's the one that intercedes on our behalf. He's our go-between. He's praying for you. you, The devil accuses you every single day. You're not really a Christian. You're not really a child of God. God doesn't really love, love you. Look at all the terrible things that you've done. How could God ever forgive you for what you've done? Those are accusations from who? From the devil, Jesus is constantly standing in our standing in the gap for us and saying, That's my child, he belongs to me, Amen. she belongs to me. I'm their advocate, intercessor. He's our great high priest. Now, let's finish up on this. We've talked about the mystery, we've talked about the role of Jesus as being the only one who meets the qualifications of prophet priest and king, but you know there's one more person. Melchizedek was prophet, priest, and king. That's why Jesus, he's a picture, he's a type of of Christ. Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king, right? There's one more person that holds those same three offices. You want to guess who it is? It's you and me. You and me. Did you know that? Because in Christ, if Christ is in us, we now are belong to Him. And guess what the scriptures say about our identity? We become prophets. We become what? Priests, a kingdom of priests, and we will rule and reign with him for how long? Forever, Forever and ever. Did you know that's who you are? Amen. Child of God? That you are a prophet, priest, and king in the order of Melchizedek, in the image, made in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that for just a second, okay? So let's talk about our ministry as the church. Let's talk about our ministry, okay? So here's your last point. Now that Christ has come, now that he's been here, right? He's, he's come in the flesh. He's died on our behalf. He's, he took the punishment we deserve. He was resurrected in power. To show victory over the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the father. Where he is now seated at his right hand. As our great high priest. These things are a reality for you and me. What does that mean? It means he's authenticated his word. Jesus came to authenticate God's word. He came to give us kingdom authority. And he gives us. This is important. Direct access. To the father in heaven. Now. I don't want to bang on our Catholic brothers and sisters today. I don't, want to, I don't want to speak ill of you. I love our Catholic brothers and sisters. But there is no need for a confessional booth. Amen. There's no need for you to go sit and confess your sins to another sinful man. Because of Jesus, we have what? Direct access. And, and the beautiful thing about it is, we don't even need a temple or a tabernacle today. Because we have become the way. We have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are now the indwelling presence of God so that we can go directly to Him. And guess what? The beautiful thing, at any time and at any place, praise God, hallelujah. What a beautiful gift that we've been given. So what is your ministry, believer? What is your ministry, Christ Church? What is your ministry now that if you are in Christ and you're here today and you have this, this wonderful opportunity To be servants of the Most High God, I'm going to give you three simple things that you need to walk away with. You ready? We get to to participate in these three offices. The first one is that our role as prophets is the ministry of the Word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every Every word. God's Word is life, It is truth. Think about all the things we put into our heart and into our mind. We take man's word for stuff all the time. We listen to man talk to us all the time, radio, TV, internet, social media. We're constantly getting just information pumped into our head and into our mind. How much time are we really taking to step back and to receive the what? The word of God. This is our ministry. It's a prophetic ministry. Did you know that you were a prophet? Now, when we say the word prophet, most of us think I'm, I'm somebody that predicts the what? The future. That's, that's not necessarily just what the role of... Now, that may be part of the prophetic ministry, but do you know what the prophetic ministry simply is? It means that we speak God's word. That's it. Amen. Now, go back and look at the prophets in the Bible. Were they popular Did their own people love them? Why not? Because they spoke the truth. And nobody really wants to hear the truth. Are you ready? Are you prepared to be unpopular? Now, if you're fulfilling this ministry in our culture today, it's very easy to say, I don't really want to say what I know I'm supposed to say and speak the truth because I might what? I might offend somebody do you think the prophets ever offended anybody it just comes with the. that just comes with the job now let me let me back up and say a qualifier we are commanded to speak the truth in in love you know that doesn't mean we're banging people over the head but it also means we need the courage we need courage That in those situations and circumstances, and you all know what I'm talking about. You're having a conversation with a neighbor or a friend or a family member, students. You're having conversations with your your classmates in school. And you know you're supposed to stand up and speak the what? You're supposed to speak the truth into that situation. When we remain silent, we are sinning against God. We're not fulfilling our, our mandated role as prophets. Those are the times when we need to say a quick prayer and say, Lord, help me no matter what's going to come after this, but I got to speak your word. I got to speak the truth. Because, guys, we look at our culture around us, we are so far away from God's word. Amen. The culture is degenerate, it's depraved. We're living in, in times where no one values the truths and the principles of God's word anymore. And it shows. Aren't we reaping the fruit of that in our culture and our generation today? Of course we are. Of course we are. These are very, very dark times because there's a famine in the land. Not of food, but what? The Word of God. So I'm calling you as your prophetic role of prophet, do not compromise. Don't back down. Don't be afraid. Even if you are the last one there, if you're the last one standing, I've heard this quote before. I think it's a beautiful thing. I would rather be alone against the whole world and to be with God than to be with the whole world and be in, not hell, but to to be outside of God's favor. I, I messed that up really bad. But you get the point, right? If I have to stand alone, if I have to be the only one standing against the rest of the what? The rest of the world, I have to be willing to do that. And that's what I'm calling us to do today in that ministry of the prophetic word to be his witnesses. Okay, now the ministry of the word. Number two, as priest of God, we've been given the ministry of prayer. The high priest, the priest of the Lord would come into the holy place and they would offer incense as a symbol of the, as the incense would rise to heaven, it would be a symbol of what? The prayers of the people, the prayers of the priests. We've been given direct access to the Father. You will never, ever, ever regret the amount of time you spend in prayer. I don't think anybody's ever going to get to heaven and say, man, I, I wish I hadn't prayed so much. That's our ministry. That's what we've been given, guys. We have, we have this direct access to God. It is an amazing thing. As I said in Hebrews chapter 4, since we have a great high priest, this is Jesus, the Son of God. Listen to what it says. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We are called to be intercessory prayers. Amen. What does it mean to intercede? It means you're praying on behalf of who? Somebody else. Who is the person you're praying for? There are people in your life right now who are so far away from God, they don't want to hear anything to do about God. They don't even want to talk about it. That's okay. You can still what? You can still intercede for them. Pray for them. Be their advocate. Just like Jesus is our advocate, we can have this ministry of prayer where we're not giving up on people even though they may not be where they need to be. We can stand in the gap for them as long as we need to and pray and ask that God would do a mighty work in their life and pray and ask that God would bring them into a relationship and get their attention and and get their hearts right. How many of us are really spending time in prayer, guys? How many of us are exercising that role, that office that we've been given, direct access to the throne? How many of us are taking that for granted? And then the last one is our role as kings. And so in my my estimation, a king is supposed to bring the kingdom wherever he goes, right? So our role as prophet is to have the ministry of the word. Our role as priest is to have the ministry of what? Prayer. And our role as kings, listen to me, just like Jesus, who did not come to lord his authority over other people, he did not come to be served like most human kings came to be served, but he came to what? To serve. If we're going to administer our role as kings on the earth, we need to learn how to humble ourselves and go out into the world and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ and love people so much through the way that we treat them in humble service unto them that we get their attention and they look at us and they say, man, that's a real Christian. There's something about that person that's what? Different. They're not arrogant and haughty and know-it-alls. They just came to love me and to what? Serve me. If we're going to bring the kingdom, I think about our brothers and sisters with Eternal Bread Ministry, our help group. We have no agenda. We have no ulterior motives. We just want to what? Just want to serve people. We just want to bless you. We just want to give to you. We just want to humble ourselves before you. We want to give you a hot meal. We want to love on you. We want to meet you where you are in your condition. And we don't have any agenda. We don't expect anything in return from you. You know what we're doing when we serve other people? We are bringing the kingdom to that person. As kings made in the image of the Most High. You know, I'm going to finish here. There's a passage in Matthew 25. It's it's amazing to me because we're coming up on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. It's the day of judgment. It's the day that we will all have to stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords and the judge of all the earth. And in Matthew 25, we get a picture of what that's going to look like. It says, when Jesus returns with all of his holy angels and he sits on his glorious throne there in Jerusalem, by the way. We're all going to be gathered there, by the way. Do you know that? And we're all going to have to stand before Him, before the judgment of God, and give an account. And it says that that on that day, the Lord will separate the sheep on His right hand from who? The goats. And He will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the very foundation of the world. Well done, my good and faithful servant but those on his left hand those who don't know the lord those who have rejected god's good grace those who have been in rebellion of god and wanted to live their life however they wanted they didn't want anything to do with god nothing well god gives you what you want if you don't want anything to do with god fine you have a free will you have the free choice but he's going to go ahead and give you what you want in the next life if you didn't want anything to do with me in this life why would you want anything to do with me in the next life That's all that he's saying. Depart from me. You didn't have anything to do with me in this life. Then you don't have anything to do with me in the next. That's part of judgment. What distinguishes the two groups? If you read Matthew 25, they both ask the Lord questions. But Lord, why am I a sheep? Why am I a goat? Why are you judging me this way? Does anybody remember what he said? He said, when I was hungry, he gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, he gave me a cool drink. When I was in prison and sick, he came to visit me. He said, that which you've done unto the least of these, my brothers, you've also done unto... That's how Jesus judges us, according to what we have done. Guys, that is the day of judgment. We will be rewarded according to what we have what? Done in this life. And the the characteristic of a true believer, a child of God, is that we are a servant. Servant king. We're not here to be served, but to what? To serve. That's what it's all about. I'm going to ask our praise team to come up. We're going to sing one more song. Guys, I'm just going to just encourage you today to be a blessing. I'm going to encourage you today to be a blessing. Melchizedek blessed Abram. Jesus Christ blessed us in His coming. He gave us the example. He gave us the the model of true self-sacrifice and service. So how is it that we as believers now, that we are in Christ as prophets, as priests, as kings, we too can be a blessing to other people by serving them? It's not difficult. I'm going to say that again. I want y'all to hear me, guys. Serving other people is not hard. Do you have to have any special talent to serve somebody? You got to have a PhD to serve somebody? You got to have a lot of money and be rich to help somebody out? You just got to have a heart. Amen. A heart after God. It takes zero talent, ability to serve somebody. So my encouragement to you is go and do what? Go serve. Look for opportunities to be a blessing, to be of service to somebody else. Amen? Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity, for this day, for all the good things that you have given, for the ministry of Jesus who is our faithful high priest and our King of kings and our Lord of lords the eternal word from heaven. Lord, I just pray that we all would understand that we have been called to be your witnesses, to be your hands and feet in a world that is desperately in need of those, just to show the love and compassion of the King. So Father, forgive us from where we've failed you. And Lord, just help us to see those opportunities, to look for those ways to bless and to help other people as we go. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right guys. Let's let's stand together as we sing one more song before we go.